Welcome to Critical Value, the podcast from the Urban Institute that explores issues of significance for research, policy, and people. I'm your host, Justin Milner. Hi there, podcast listener. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. And we really hope that you're holding up okay in this new era of social distancing and this constant stream of challenging news. If you've listened to our last couple of episodes of Critical Value, you know that we're doing something a little different right now, right? We're taking a look at how the pandemic will impact families and communities in critical ways, our jobs, our health, our food security, our education, And we're doing so with an eye squarely on what it means for the most vulnerable Americans. If you haven't listened to the past two episodes on how the pandemic impacts housing and the economy, it's worth going back. But today we're going to talk about the recently passed Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, also known as the CARES Act, that you probably heard a lot about last week. Breaking news as the Senate and White House strike a deal on a historic over $2 trillion economic stimulus package that will, among other things, send direct payments to Americans and expand jobless benefits for millions. So this package is larger than any other plan of its kind in history. The plan includes stimulus payments to individuals and families, expanded unemployment coverage, student loan changes, loans for small businesses and nonprofits, and more. In this episode, we're going to give a quick, non-exhaustive explainer of the bill and then focus in on a couple of key elements. For context, I talked with Mark Mazur, director of the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center, on Friday afternoon about the size and scope of the law. Here's a little perspective from Mark on just how big this amount of aid actually is. Like, is this a lot? $2 trillion is a lot. If you think of the entire U.S. economy as $22 trillion, it's, you know, almost a tenth of the size of the U.S. economy. That's big. We think of the federal government's spending over the course of a year being somewhere around $4 trillion. So $2 trillion is, is half of that, half a year spending in a bill that was put together in two weeks. And Mark says this isn't just a regular run-of-the-mill economic stimulus package. Well, one thing I, I, I try to caution against calling this just a stimulus package because traditionally a stimulus package would be something to kickstart the economy. But a lot of what the CARES Act does is provide more of a a safety net or social insurance to individuals who have may have difficult time making ends meet either with rent or food or healthcare costs um, because they don't have an income coming in or their income is reduced. So it's different than a traditional stimulus package. And I think Austin Goolsby, the University of Chicago, has said a couple of times that, you know, virus economics is different than regular economics. And so we shouldn't think of this as a replay of what happened in 2008 with the Great Recession. We should think of it as as a much, much different and perhaps more challenging uh, economic problem. So what's different and more challenging about this particular economic problem? Well, we can't use a lot of the tools we previously used to fight economic recessions this time. Our public health measures mean that huge pieces of our economy are shuttered in the face of the virus, and this economic relief package tries to prop them up so they can stay shuttered while we fight it. We're trying to to encourage a, a diminution in consumption, at least for the short term, so that the virus has less of a chance of spreading throughout the population. And so it requires a different set of tools in the toolkit. And so there's a large emphasis on doing things in the healthcare sector, trying to improve the uh, 
outcomes there, but also an emphasis on supporting state and local governments as they take steps to reduce the the amount of contact that people have with each other. So the reduction of large crowds, the closure of restaurants, theaters, whole range of, of non-essential businesses all are, are aimed at reducing economic activity, which is which is a bit different than the than the standard stimulus bill, which would boost economic activity. So let's talk through a couple of key things in the package. For starters, you've probably heard a lot about Americans receiving checks. Probably the one that most Americans will focus on is the rebate payments that will come out to individual households. And, and these are $1,200 for a taxpayer, $2,400 for a married couple, and $500 for each child, largely for, for taxpayers of lower and, and moderate incomes. They phase out for higher income taxpayers. And those payments uh, total about $300 billion. The goal behind these payments is to support families that may be struggling to make ends meet in this time of uncertainty. And there's been a lot of debate about whether this amount is enough. But there's also the very real challenge of actually getting the dollars into people's bank accounts. Like, it's a massive process. So how exactly does the government get these payments out? I asked Urban Institute researcher Jack Smalligan. Before Jack joined the Urban Institute, he worked at the Office of Management and Budget and was involved in the process of distributing stimulus payments during the Great Recession in 2008. He says this round of checks should reach substantially more people than any previous ones issued by the government. Most adults will be eligible for a $1,200 check. And previous stimulus legislation, such as like 2008, the checks were limited to people who had filed tax returns or were eligible for like a Social Security or a Veterans Administration benefit. And so in this case, there are many people who have incomes too low to to need to file a tax return who could benefit from this one and and might have been ineligible in, in prior legislation. And that means it will be really important to make it easy for people to receive benefits. The easiest group that IRS will be able to reach are people who have filed a tax return for their 2019 tax filing season, and IRS will be able to get out checks to to those individuals fairly quickly. It's for people who haven't filed a return in recent years that are going to be harder to reach. And a lot of work went into this legislation to try to address mistakes from the past. The big improvement is that the legislation enables Social Security Administration to share information on Social Security beneficiaries so that IRS can identify those who did not need to file a tax return, but are getting benefits from Social Security. And so those benefits should be able to also go out fairly quickly. And and then the legislation authorizes IRS to work with other federal agencies, such as Social Security or the Veterans Administration, to also obtain information on people who receive other federal benefits. So that's a good thing. Let's have these government agencies work together to find people who are eligible for support and get cash to them as soon as possible. Jack says these stimulus checks are going to provide relief more quickly than the 2008 checks did. It's key to remember that this process won't be seamless. Important to keep in mind that that IRS's information technology infrastructure has been underfunded for decades. Often, I mean, they're working with some computer systems that go back 30, 40 years. 
And so it's not, it's not IRS's fault. It's a, a kind of an embarrassment that we've underfunded IRS so much for so long. But, but when they need to act quickly in times like this, they're having to do so with very old technology. Or as Mark Mazur puts it. Sometimes we, we have in mind that, oh, the federal government will just Venmo everybody money. But that's really not what's going to happen. It's going to take a little bit longer than that. Another major part of the legislation to support individuals was a huge expansion in unemployment insurance. That's the part of the social safety net that allows people who lost their jobs to get some temporary support. Here's Mark. In addition, there's at least as large an injection into the unemployment system that will be ensuring that individuals who are out of work through no fault of their own because the their employer is either shut down or has reduced demand for their products and services. These folks will be able to access unemployment benefits that are enhanced relative to what they had been in the past. And part of the reason for for these larger than usual unemployment benefits is to actually encourage people not to be in the labor force and to encourage some social distancing. And the spike in need for support will be unprecedented. Breaking news, the jobless claims just coming in at a staggering 3,283,000. That is how many Americans filed jobless claims last week. This shatters records and paints a bleak picture of the effects of the pandemic on the U.S. economy. Urban expert Wayne Roman has been studying unemployment benefits for decades. I asked him to talk us through how unemployment insurance works in regular non-pandemic times. When people lose employment, unemployment insurance is a social protection system that can provide benefits. If The most important thing to note is that Wage and salary workers are almost totally covered by unemployment insurance. If the worker and the employer agree that the layoff was employer-initiated and that the worker prior to the layoff was performing satisfactorily, that's called a clean separation, and most of those people can expect to collect UI benefits. For business as usual, beneficiaries of unemployment insurance have to meet a set of specific criteria and jump through a number of hoops. It's not a simple process, and it means that even in normal times, not everyone that is unemployed receives support. There are several hoops that the worker has to go through, and as a result, the system normally pays benefits to something like 25 or 30 percent of all of the unemployed. That is, a lot of people either quit or they didn't have enough past earnings or the circumstance of their separation, they may have been fired because they were, you know, acting up at work. And Wayne says it's important to remember that because states differ in how generous their unemployment insurance is, the amount of benefits people will receive will vary. The relationship differs from one state to the next in terms of how generous the unemployment insurance program is. In normal times, a state like, say, Pennsylvania or Rhode Island will be compensating more than 40% of their unemployed. At the same time, a state like Virginia, Florida, Texas will be compensating less than 20%. And with the cutbacks that have happened in states like Florida and North Carolina, prior to this downturn or this emergency, they were compensating fewer than 10% of their unemployed. So unless they do something quickly to increase their duration and make their system more accessible, there will still be needs in, in the states that are less generous. I asked Wayne how this new law changes our current unemployment system. He says that first, it greatly expands the amount of time unemployed workers can receive benefits and the amount of money they can receive. In the current environment, 
The regular program, most states can pay up to 26 weeks of benefits. After a worker collects that full entitlement, if the worker is still unemployed, they are said to exhaust their benefits. The legislation that was passed adds a federal emergency benefit with a duration of 13 weeks of federal benefit payments, and those benefit payments pay $600 a week. So it's quite a generous benefit. So this is a substantial increase of both the time people are eligible and the amount of resources they can receive. The average across all states for payment per week is something like $350. So if you, you look at the emergency payments of $600 a week, that's, you know, it's not quite a doubling, but it's uh, something like a 60, 70% increase. And here's something that's new and really significant. The legislation also wraps in more people to be eligible to receive unemployment insurance, including people that are self-employed workers and gig workers. There are provisions in there for them to be eligible for the first time because normally unemployment insurance covers wage and salary workers, but it doesn't cover the self-employed. So gig workers and the self-employed more generally are outside the scope of the normal, the regular UI system. So this thing had provisions to expand coverage to those people who are self-employed. So this will be a big deal for the many thousands of people from various service and contract industries who lost work. And the legislation takes other steps to make it easier for people to be eligible for unemployment benefits. And then in addition, there are other things having to do with easing eligibility provisions, requiring less work search for people once they're in benefit status. And then there's a state staffing flexibility so that the states can hire people more quickly. So that's all good news. But Wayne says it's important to remember that this wave of new unemployment claims is going to be a challenge for brand new applicants that's never dealt with the system before. I asked Wayne what he thought of this vast expansion of unemployment insurance. It has the advantage of it's a fast response, which is good. It's a large-scale response, which is good, and so that will help unemployment insurance stabilize the economy and prevent the size of the, the downturn that otherwise would take place. So unemployment insurance will be acting like a stabilizer, trying to keep the economy closer to full employment or you know, closer to high output as opposed to a full crash, which, which might otherwise have taken place. Studies from the 2008 recession showed that additional unemployment support was an effective stabilizer preventing poverty rates from going up further than they would have otherwise. I did some work in that, and the, the multipliers in the models that I was working with, the multipliers were about two. So for every dollar of unemployment insurance benefit payments, there was multiplier effects, which doubled the size of that. And in a recession like right now, or what we think we're going into, most all of the unemployment insurance payments get re result in spending fairly quickly because the people are, you know, they've had a big drop in their income and to sustain their lifestyle and living standards, the, the unemployment benefits help them to, to do that. Beyond individual supports, the bill also provides funding for businesses affected by the pandemic. Here's Mark again. There also is a large loan program for small and larger businesses. Some of these loans can turn into grants if the employers keep their workers employed throughout the, the ongoing crisis. There's a couple hundred billion dollars that will go to state and local governments to help them through the 
next uh, couple of months where they're going to be facing increased demands for, for services and also reduced revenues coming in to, to state and local governments as income tax revenues and sales tax revenues drop, drop off. Overall, Mark sees the bill as the start and not the end around the government economic response to the pandemic. It's a really good first step in the sense that Congress looked at a problem where the U.S. economy was falling very rapidly, contracting very rapidly, and decided that something had to be done, something dramatic had to be done to, to address that situation. And so there really are lots and lots of different tools that are included in this in this bill, all pretty much aimed at enhancing the prospects for individuals and businesses to make it through this, uh, this health pandemic. But is this just the first step down the road to recovery? Like, is this going to be enough? Well, it's unclear at this point. I think part of what Congress wanted to do here was to take a big step and then be in a position in several weeks or so to look back and say, see how things are going. The payments that are in Included in this bill won't be going out immediately. The rebates that go out to taxpayers will probably take a couple of weeks to get out the door. Secretary Mnuchin is saying three weeks. That's probably on the optimistic side of things. Unemployment benefits, they often take a while for people to get processed through the system and get their, their unemployment checks. The loans that are being administered by the Small Business Administration, obviously they're going to have to gear up their processes to get those loans out to smaller businesses. And so that will take some time. As always, we want to share some key takeaways from the episode. Here are three things to remember. One, the current pandemic represents a different type of economic challenge than what we faced in the past. The CARES Act, just signed into law, includes a number of different supports, guaranteed payments for most adults, additional help for the unemployed, and dollars for businesses. Two, The new unemployment supports are a significant increase from business as usual, but the administration of the program and making sure people that are eligible actually receive support will be a critical task in the coming weeks and months. And three, this bill is a good first step, but it may not be or probably won't represent the last. We'll need to watch closely to see how these dollars affect our economy in the near future and figure out what else might be necessary. So that's our show. Big thank you to Mark Mazur, Jack Smalligan, and Wayne Vroman. You can read more from them on our show notes page at www.urban.org slash critical value. And thanks to all you critical value listeners. We truly appreciate the download and would love if you took a minute to share the show with other smart policy people and even leave a rating on iTunes. We just hit 200 ratings, so help us get to 300. And thank you to producers Katie Smith and Jacinth Jones and to our sound editor, Riley Byrne from Podigy.co. That's P-O-D-I-G-Y dot C-O. On behalf of the Critical Value team and my two kids who are now co-producers. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it a lot.